Alhamdulillah, welcome back to uh, our Ramadan series, uh, Conversations from the Quran. Alhamdulillah. And so, uh, as we move along through our series of conversations that we're going to cover throughout the month of Ramadan, uh, we come to probably one of the more serious and one of the, the more heart-wrenching conversations uh, that we're probably going to read uh, throughout this month. Um, and I'm sorry to kind of rush you into it so early into the month of Ramadan, but uh, it is what it is. All right, so the conversation that we're going to be discussing today is the conversation that happened between two brothers, and these are the two sons of Adam. Adam's two sons, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to them in the Quran. In the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not mention their name. As we mentioned before, this is one of the uh, secrets of the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yubhim al-asma, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leaves the names anonymous. Why? Because the names are not really important. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want you to get caught up in the personalities, but he wants you to take away the principles. Allah does not want us to get caught up in the personalities, but to focus on the principles that are in the story. All right. So this first conversation uh, is captured in the Quran, and it is the first conversation between two human beings on earth. This is after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed Adam from paradise and put Adam and his wife Hawa on earth. Now, Adam and Hawa, they uh, like, as we mentioned in the last class, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala named Adam what? What was the title Allah gave him? Khalifa. And what was one of the meanings of the word Khalifa? They were going to be a successor to the jinn that used to inhabit the earth beforehand. Why else was the, what is another meaning of the word Khalifa? He said that there were three meanings for the word Khalifa. One was that he is a successor, that they are going to inherit the earth. Human beings are inheriting the earth after the jinn had already inhabited the earth. What was the second meaning? Right, that they are Khalifa in the earth, meaning they are going to establish the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the earth. And that means that through Adam's progeny, uh, there were going to be prophets, messengers, righteous people, righteous men, women, right? And the third was vicegerent. Well, vicegerent means to, to a leader in the earth. But the third meaning was that they were going to procreate one generation after a next, uh, one generation after another. So part of the reason that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put Adam and Hawa on earth was to procreate, right? Because through that procreation was going to, uh, the, they were going to give birth to prophets, messengers, righteous men, righteous women, right? All of the characters that we read about in the Quran. Had Adam and Hawa not procreated, we would have never seen all of the righteous people and all of these people that we've grown to love throughout the years. We would have never seen them in the Quran. All right? So, um, uh, Adam and Hawa are put down on earth. 
and they had a number of children. From amongst the children that they had were two sons, Abel and Qabil. Now, something that you need to know about Hawa is that when she gave birth, she always gave birth in twins, one boy and one girl. So she would give birth, one boy, one girl. Give birth, one boy and one, one girl. So what was the law of Adam that was given to Adam by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was that the boy from this twin was only allowed to marry the girl of that twin. He was not allowed to marry his immediate twin sister. You understand that? This is critical because this is where the problem comes in. All right? Everybody understand that? Every time Hawa gave birth, she gave birth to twins, a boy and a girl, a boy and a girl. And the boy and a girl from this set were to marry the boy and a girl from the set before or the set after. They were not allowed to marry each other. All right? The twins are, themselves were not allowed to marry each other. Pay attention because we're going to come back to that point. So this conversation that happened between the two sons of Adam uh, is a very intimate conversation because it involves two biological sons, uh, two biological brothers, and uh, the sacrifices that they made to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the envy that resulted in that situation, which is one of the diseases of the hearts, um, and it led to the murder of one of those sons. And this disease, we've seen it before, in previous stories that we've covered from the Quran, like the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. Unfortunately, in this situation, the envy drove one brother to kill the other. In the case of Yusuf alayhi salam, if you remember, go back to the story of Yusuf, one of the suggestions that one of the brothers made was to do what? To kill him. One of the brothers stopped. They had to intervene. Yusuf. <laughs> One of them said, let's kill Yusuf. One of the brothers said, no, let's not kill him. We don't need to kill him to achieve our goal. Our goal is to get rid of him. And if we can get rid of him without killing him, then that's what we'll opt for. And that's what they went for. All right? So they didn't want to kill him, although some of them did. That was one of the first options. And it's very important to understand understand envy. We talked a lot about envy in the previous uh, story of Yusuf alayhi salam. As Abdullah ibn Mubarak ta'ala, one of the great scholars of the past, he said, Abdullah ibn Mubarak ta'ala, said that I had the ability, I had the ability to bring enjoyment and pleasure to any human being. I could please any human being with the exception of a person who is envious. Nothing can please a person who is envious except the destruction of the one that they are envious of. That's the only thing that they will be satisfied with. You know how sometimes we say, well, why can't they just go their separate ways? Why can't they just, you know, let bygones be got bygones and just you know, go in their opposite ways and just keep it pushing? No, they can't do that because a person that is envious will never be satisfied until the person that they are envious of, they are stripped of everything that makes them envious of them. And that is what separates envy from jealousy. Jealousy is that you have something that I want. I want it too, right? But I don't want to necessarily take it away from you. I just want it. See, a 
has memorized the whole Quran, man, I wish I I wish I memorized the whole Quran. The Prophet said, La hasad illa fi that jealousy is not permissible in Islam except in two instances. One is being jealous of someone who has memorized the entire Quran and you wish you had that blessing or that gift so that you can get the reward that he gives. And the other is a person who has money, who gives their money sadaqah in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Do a fundraiser, we ask, is there anyone that can give $5,000? Person says, yes, I got it. You're like, man, I wish I had $5,000 a year. I remember giving a fundraiser on behalf of Imam Siraj. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve him. Threw me out there uh, at this particular time. Nonetheless, I wasn't prepared for it. Nonetheless, it came highly recommended from Imam Siraj, so I responded. Nonetheless, I go to the community to do a fundraiser, and I asked the brother, how much are you trying to collect tonight? He said $250,000. Blew my mind because in our communities we don't usually we don't usually collect not even a third of that in in a fundraiser. We we lucky if we get five grand within a fundraising night. So I said okay. He said no, there are people here that have that. Don't worry about it. They have it. I said so. What do you want me to start the fundraising off with? He said start at fifty thousand. I said okay. This is your word. I came out. I gave my lecture. After I finished the lecture, we started the fundraising part. I said, is there anyone here that can give $50,000? A hand went up. Man. Another hand in the back, a sister, hand went up. Now, you can write a check for $50,000 and it doesn't hurt you? Like, that's nothing? It's a drop in a bucket for you? I wish. I wish. Is there anybody who can donate $25,000? Three hands went up. write a check for $25,000 and go home and not break a sweat. Go home and not, you know, punch a wall or something like, I mean, there's people who can do that. There's people who can do that. Shout out to the people, you know, who can write a check for $10,000, $20,000 and you don't budge. But it's something that, you know, somebody like myself, who I don't have that, that I would be jealous of. Not that I want to take that away from you, but that I wish I had what you had so I can do what you do and get what you get. That's it. But envy, on the other hand, can we turn the heat down just a little, just a notch? <laughs> right, we want to be merciful. The sisters wear a hijab back there. I mean, it was kind of chilly in here, so. <laughs> so, be mindful of 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 hasad of envy envy is very dangerous very dangerous and nothing will please the envious person except that you be stripped of the blessing for which he is envious of you um so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins the passage of this story in surah to ma'ida surah number five in the quran and if you know anything about these surahs in the Qur'an, the surahs in the Qur'an are broken down into two periods. Madaniya, Makkiya. Madaniya, Makkiya. Makkiya surahs in the Qur'an, uh, I think they're like 86 Makkiya surahs. There's 114 surahs in the Qur'an in total, right? I believe 86 of them are Makkiya. Makkiya meaning that they were revealed not in Mecca, but before the Prophet ﷺ made hijrah. So that 13 year period that the Prophet ﷺ was in Mecca, 
the bulk of the Quran. 80% of the Quran was revealed in the Meccan period. 86 chapters from the Quran revealed before the Prophet ﷺ made Hijrah. Did you guys know that? And that means that the rest of the surahs were revealed in the Medinan period, and that is after Hijrah. Some people say, oh, the Meccan period isn't when all of the surahs were revealed in Mecca. They were not all revealed in Mecca. But Mecca period, meaning that they were revealed before the Prophet ﷺ made Hijrah, and that 13 years before he migrated. And then the rest of the surahs were revealed in the Medinan period. That means that much of what the Quran touches on and deals with happened in the Mecca period. Happened in the Mecca period. And when you know the Mecca period, we know, we're talking about what were the main themes because those surahs, they have themes. The themes of the surahs that were revealed in the Meccan period focused on four or five things. Number one, they focused on Tawheed, correcting the aqidah and the belief of the Muslims who were converting to Islam. They came from idolatry. They came from all types of traditions and practices from Persia, from Rome, that kind of found their way into the Arabian Peninsula. And so they had a lot of those superstitions, a lot of those misnomers, misunderstandings about God from amongst them was they didn't believe in the hereafter. So you'll find that many surahs in the Quran deal with belief in the hereafter, belief in resurrection. Right. A lot of the surahs, a lot of the ayats from the Quran deal with resurrection because one of the misconceptions of the Arabs was that they didn't believe that there was a such thing as resurrection. So a lot of the surahs and ayats that were revealed in the Makkiyah period, they dealt with or focused on the aqidah, correcting the belief of the Arabs who were converting to Islam. The second thing that those surahs dealt with, the second theme that those surahs dealt with were the stories of the prophets and messengers. So all, if, uh, most, if not all of the stories of the prophets and messengers were revealed in the Makkiyah period. Now my question is why? Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveal the story of Maryam the story of uh, uh, of Ibrahim, the story of Lut, the story of Musa. Why was all of those stories revealed, including the story of Prophet Yusuf, salam, why were all of those stories revealed in the Mecca period? Not people. Wasallam. He was in the thick of it. He was in the thick of it. Everything that he experienced in that period Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him a variety of prophets and messengers who had a share of everything that he experienced in that one period. There was jealousy, there was envy, there was hasid, right? Quraysh, many of the chiefs of Quraysh, his own uncle, Abu Lahab, his own uncle, jealous and envious of him because he was taking away the attention that Quraysh had. So now all of the youth, of the Sahaba now, all of the youth in their society is now turning their attention towards the Prophet There's no coincidence that the majority of his followers were young people. If you think about it, why did the message of Tawheed, not just the message of Tawheed, but why did the way the Prophet conveyed the message, why did it appeal to the youth first? Because the youth are thirsty. They want something different. They are enthusiastic. They are risk takers. And they knew by converting to Islam, they were taking risks. And they were all for it. And this is why we come into communities and we see nothing but old people with all due respect. 
elders from the community, the majority of the community, we're in trouble because that means that we have neglected our youth. They are the game changers. They are the people who change the world. The older you get, the more complacent you become in life. You don't want to ruffle no feathers. You don't even want to get into arguments with your spouse. When you're young, you're like, let's have it. I'm right. You wrong. Let's have it. When you're old, you're just like, you know what? You're right. You're right. You want some cheesecake? I ain't got time to fight. I ain't got the energy for it. Young people, they want to, no, I'm right. We're going to endure long periods of ignoring one another because I'm not saying I'm sorry. Just apologize. Just admit you were wrong back and forth, you know, because they got the energy for it. As you get older, you don't have that energy anymore. You just want to get back to the pre-conflict stage, whatever it takes. You're right. I, I was wrong. I, I was wrong. Yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong. Say less. I was wrong. All right. Can we get back to the pre-conflict stage? Right. Because you don't have the energy. Young people, they are enthusiastic. They're risk takers. They, especially young men. You look at Zubair. You look at Ali. You look at Musa ibn Umair. You look at these young youth, Abdullah ibn Abbas. These were the sons of the chiefs of Quraysh. So there was envy. There was hatred. There was, you know, there were there were a lot of things. So all of the stories of the prophets and messengers were revealed in that time to show the Prophet Sallallahu different men who tread the same path, who had the same experience, to let him know that what you are doing, don't ever get deterred, right, from what you're doing because you believe that all of this that's coming at you is making you feel like maybe you're doing the wrong thing. Take a look at all the prophets and messengers who came before you. They went through the same thing. Stay on the track. Stay on the right track. This is what comes with the territory. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him glimpses of prophets and messengers who tread the same path as he did to show him that you're on the right path. Don't worry about it. This comes with the territory. Because when, you, when you're in the thick of things, right? When you're in the belly of the whale, you're in the thick of it. You tend to think that maybe I'm doing something wrong. It's not humanly you know, it's not natural for human beings to be able to endure and withstand the whole entire world going against you. That's not normal. People usually want to blend in. People, you know, we are, you know, creatures of engagement by nature. So nobody wants to feel ostracized. Nobody, nobody can handle that. Most people can't, can't handle that. But when you look at the prophets and messengers, this was the path that they tread. They had to be comfortable being alone. Few followers, few handful. Prophet Nuh, alayhi salam, dwelled amongst his people 950 years, called them to Tawheed, and only 12 to 14 people converted. Allah says in the Quran, and only a few people, only a few converted to Islam in 950 years. After 100 years, that means if he was amongst his people for 950 years giving da'wah. And 12 to 14 people converted to Islam. That means that he had one person convert every 100 and maybe 50 years. Can you imagine? One follower every 150 years? SubhanAllah. So those are some of the themes of the surahs uh, in the uh, Makkiyah period, obviously the Medinan period. Uh, those were Islamic laws, legislation, marriage, divorce, uh, war, strategies of war, you know, all of those things. Uh, ibadah, worship, establishing, you know, hajj and uh, fasting and all of those legislative uh, acts of worship were not legislated until after he migrated. 
Salat was the only act of worship that was uh, obligated upon the believers. And that was at the very end of the Makkiyah period, the 10th year after the Prophet Sallallahu received revelation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, surah number five, ayah 27, Allah starts this surah off. Here again, telling, drawing the Prophet Sallallahu attention. وَاتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ نَبَأَ بَنَيْ آدَمْ بِالْحَقِّ إِذْ قَرَّبَ قُرْبَانًا فَتَقُبِّلَ مِنْ أَحَدِهِمَا وَلَمْ يُتَقَبَّلْ مِنَ الْآخَرِ قَالَ لَأَقْتُلَنَّكَ قَالَ إِنَّمَا يَتَقَبَّلُ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ Very powerful, just the first passage. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Prophet sallallahu recite to them, O Muhammad, the story of the sons of, the two sons of Adam. Here again, Allah doesn't mention their names. Allah doesn't mention their names. Their names are not mentioned in the Quran. All right, we get Habil and Qabil from the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ from a hadith that mention their names. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Watlu alayhim and recite to them, O Muhammad, Naba Abn Adam. And Naba, which is there's a whole surah called Surah to Naba, which means the news, information, the story, the narrative. Recite to them the narrative, the story of the two sons of Adam. Bilhaq in truth, meaning the narrative of these two sons in the Quran is the only true story of these two that still exists in its original form. You might find it in the Bible, but it's tainted. It's not the true words of God. It's not the true words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as some of it has been forged, some of it has been changed, some of it has been written by man. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about Bani Israel, about Ahlul Kitab, that they write the book with their hand. Allah says that they write the book, the scripture with their hands and then they say, this is from God. Allah says, it's not from me. It's not from him. They lie, invent lies against Allah while they know better. However, in truth, this is the absolute unadulterated truth. This story has not been un is, is unadulterated, has not been tampered with, has not been tainted. It is exactly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Angel Jibreel, to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi to the Sahaba, to this ummah. That's the chain of narration, directly. And recite to them, O Muhammad, the news of the two sons of Adam in truth. When they put forth a sacrifice, we'll get into the sacrifice. They put forth a sacrifice. And the sacrifice was accepted from one of them and it was rejected from the other. The one that it was rejected from, he said to his brother, I'm going to kill you. And the brother, he says to him, Allah only accepts from those who are righteous. Why do you want to kill me for? Because God didn't accept your sacrifice? What does that have to do with me? You know, something good comes to you and then somebody envies you for it. And it's just like, why are you mad at me? Sis, two sisters, they're looking to get married. One of them finds a husband before the other one. She gets mad at the other one. I hate you. It's like, but why? Like, we came in this together. We were supposed to get married together. And here you go finding a husband before I do. And it's just like, yeah, but that's what was written. 
happened for me. That's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote for me. How are you mad at me because of something that Allah decreed for me, but he didn't decree for you? Same thing with brothers. Two brothers, they, you know, friends, they convert to Islam together or whatever their story is. And one of them, he finds a good job and he's able to provide for his family and do well. And the other one still struggling, filling out applications. And he starts to become envious. Oh, that job ain't going to last, man. It's like, why are you hating, bro? Like, why don't you want good for me? Right? In in the prison system, you get two guys come in, co-defendants, they get the same amount of time. One calls up for parole, gets the parole. The other one denied parole. So you looking at this one from across the room, hating on him. Oh, he probably snitched. He probably did this. He probably did nothing. That's just what God intended for him, but didn't intend for you. In the story of Prophet Yusuf, السلام, the two men came into prison with Yusuf and they both saw a dream. Remember that? One said he saw himself in a dream crushing grapes. And sometimes that's us. I called my uncle the other day. He said, he said how are you doing? I said, I'm okay. He said, well, are you, are you, getting, are you crushing the grapes or are you being crushed? He said, some, I said, what do you mean? He said, some days, you know, you the grapes. Some days you crushing the grapes, you know. It happens like that. That's old head wisdom. <laughs> old head wisdom, man. You know, sometimes it's just like that. So he saw himself crushing grapes. The other one said he saw himself carrying bread on his head that birds were eating from. And what that means is that one of them was going home and the other one was not. You're going to die right here. And the wisdom of Yusuf is that Yusuf knew the interpretation of the dream. But before he told them what the dream meant, he said, let me tell you about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let me tell you about Tawheed. SubhanAllah. And the reason why he told him about Tawheed was because perhaps he would convert and die as a Muslim because he knew he was going to die. The guy just said, I saw myself in a dream carrying bread on my head. Birds were eating from it. Yusuf knew from his skill of interpreting dreams that that means you will die right here. You're not going home. And that's the sad reality for a lot of our children. A lot of our young men who are trapped in the prison system, they're not coming home. They're going to die right there. And while that may seem sad, you got to also think about this, the design, the design that was put in place, you know, to get them to that point. Obviously, they have to take some responsibility as well, but... I mean, how much responsibility can they take when they're born into a world where a system is already put in, put in place? The, the pipeline you straight from here to here. You don't even realize it. You don't, these young boys, they don't even see it. They don't even realize it. From the music, to the marijuana, to the inner city schools, to the school system, school system to pipeline, school system, the foster care system, all of those systems designed to land you in one place and one place only. Because by landing you there, taxpayers, they get breaks, they, they create jobs, CEOs, they get jobs, they get, you know, and that's no disrespect, but this is part of the system. This is the system. And until you see the system for what it is, you continue to feed it. Allah Musta'an. But he said, I'm going to kill you. So point here before I go any further, man, don't ever hate on your brother or your sister, especially in Islam, over some worldly matter. 
you're going to be jealous of somebody, be jealous of something that is actually worthy of you being jealous of. Money, status, power. These are fleeting commodities. Nobody has that forever. Nobody has that forever. One minute you have it, the next minute you don't. And not everybody who's given a blessing is a blessing. Sometimes it's a punishment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, and don't look at the wealth and the children that we give to those who disbelieve. Don't look at that and, you know, and, and desire it. He said, our, the, our will is to give them these things, to preoccupy them with them. Uh, 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 that, they, that their souls depart from their bodies while they are disbelievers. You become as a test. For some people, it's a test. Nonetheless, a person who is driven by envy can't tell the difference. All they know is you have something that I want or that I believe is mine because that's where the envy comes from. It's a God complex. In essence, it's a God complex because you begin to think that I am more deserving of that than you are and God should have given it to me instead of you. And so as a result of that, I'm going to take it from you or I'm going to sabotage it so you can't have it because I am the one that is more deserving of it. So to continue with the ayats, he said, لَإِنْ بَصَطَّ إِلَيَّ يَدِّكَ لِتَقْتُلَنِي مَا أَنَا بِبَاسِتِ يَدِّيَ إِلَيْكَ لِأَخْتُلَكَ إِنِّي أَخَافُ اللَّهَ رَبَّ الْعَالَمِينَ He said, if you stretch out your hand to do some harm to me, I will not return by stretching my hand out to harm you. Indeed, I fear Allah, Lord of the world. As we talked about this a couple of days ago, that if you choose to disobey Allah concerning me, I have no other recourse but to obey Allah concerning you. You do you, and I'm going to do me. And we'll see who comes out a winner in the end. You and your oppression, or me and my obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the patience and the endurance that I had to exercise with your harm. We'll see. He said, "Inni uridu an tabu abi ithmi wa ithmi kafatakuna min ashab al-nar, thalika jazaa al-zalimin." He said, "I want you to bear my sin and your sin, and that you will be from the people of the hellfire. That is the reward of those who do oppression." Fatawat lahu nafsuhu qatla akhi, faqatlahu fa asbaha min al-khasimin. So his soul drove him to murder his own brother. And so he killed him and he was amongst the losers. Let's unpack this story really quickly. This story comes right after the story of Prophet Musa and Bani Israel and their disobedience and rebellion as it relates to entering Palestine, the Holy Land. If you read back a few ayats before this story, the Quran is musalsala. It is a series of events that are connected. They may not look like they are connected. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jumps from one scene to another, one event to another. And it may look like they're two distinct scenes, two distinct stories or issues, but wallahi, all of them are connected. And this is where the scholars of tafsir come into play because they are able to look at it and dissect it and make the connections for us. So when you look at what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was talking about before he got to the story, he was talking about Bani Israel entering into the Holy Land, entering into Palestine, and their refusal to enter into Palestine. They refused, citing that there were powerful people in Beit al in Palestine, and they told Musa, 
They said to Musa, قَالُوا يَا مُوسَى إِنَّا لَنْ نَدْخُلَهَا أَبَدًا مَا دَامُوا فِيهَا فَاذْهَبْ أَنْتَ وَرَبُّكَ فَقَاتِلَا إِنَّا هَاهُنَا قَاعِدُونَ Surah number 5, ayah 24. Just a couple of ayahs right before. Right? Go to surah number 5, ayah 24. And look at that conversation between Musa and Bani Israel. Musa is telling Bani Israel, go into the Holy Land and retrieve Baytul Maqdis from the Jabbarin, from the oppressors that are there. That's the only way you're going to get it. That's the only way that you're going to get Palestine. You got to go in there and take it. And that might stand true today as it was yesterday. You standing in front of tanks in hopes that they would, you know, not take your life, man. They will take your life as if it's nothing. It means absolutely nothing. He told them, go in and take Beit al-Maqdis back. They told him, nah, there's Qawmun Jabbarin, there's oppressive people, big, you know, army soldiers, oppressive people. We're not going in there. You and your Lord go in there and fight. We're going to wait right here. This is what Bani Israel told Musa. You and your Lord go fight. We're going to wait right here. We'll be right here when you're done. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a punishment, he made Palestine, he made Bayt al-Maqdis haram for them for 40 years. For 40 years, they had to wander the desert. They were wandering the desert. And the reason why, does anybody know why Allah said 40 years? Why Allah made them wander the desert for 40 years? Because 40 years starts a new generation. The next generation starts. So 40 years... Um, most of the people sitting on the Musalla right now, we don't have another 40 years. Most of us. Most of us don't have another 40 years. 40 years eliminates a whole entire generation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them wait 40 years before he would allow them to enter into Palestine. And by that time, that generation that were rebellious and disobedient, they died off. Right. So what is the connection between Bani Israel telling Musa, you and your Lord go fight. We're going to wait right here. We're not going in there to fight. Allah making them wait 40 years. The whole top tier of their generation dies off. And then the next generation uh, inherits the, what we know as the Holy Land, Palestine. What is the connection between that and the story of the two sons of Adam? Who can make the connection? Connect it for me. What does one story have to do with the other? What's the connection? Many. Huh? I mean, it seems like many, but one that comes to mind is, you know, um, you know uh, like the, the intention or the call for knowing, you know, when to fight, you know, um, like the, the reason okay. to, to, to fight or not to fight, you know what I'm saying? That, um, and that. Hmm, um, good connection. So in both, both incidents, they're involved fighting. Bani Israel was supposed to go into Beit al-Maqdis, fight and take it back. And there was a fighting, there was a fight that occurred between the two sons of Adam. So he's saying the connection here is there's a time to fight, there's a time not to fight. Close, pretty good, pretty good. Good thinker, I like that. The only way that you're going to be able to benefit from the Quran is you got to be mufakir. You have to think, ponder, reflect. What is the connection here? The connection is the arrogance. 
the arrogance. They didn't want to go in and fight when they were commanded to. That was out of arrogance. They said, you and your Lord go fight. We're going to wait right here. Arrogance. And the arrogance between the two sons of Adam, where one felt like, you know, why did God accept that from you instead of me? Their disobedience, their haughtiness, their arrogance. Arrogant attitude towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the connection. Bani Israel was arrogant and disobeyed their prophet. And Qabil, the one who killed his brother, he was arrogant and envious and disobeyed his father, who was a prophet, and killed his brother. And embarked on the greatest sin after shirk, which is murder. Taking a life that is innocent without due right. This is the greatest sin after committing shirk is murder, qatl. And this is something that we take very lightly in today's time. The smallest little infraction, the smallest little incident that we get into, it has to leave, leave it, has to, it has to end in murder. Just a small altercation. And this is especially true between African-Americans because the intensity of our, you know, we, we have this high sense of, you know, uh, of, you know where, what they call, um, overly sensitive, right? Hypersensitive. And that hypersensitivity is from the trauma that has been passed down generation to generation. Hypersensitive, being hypersensitive is one of the telltale signs that a person has experienced trauma. You're hypersensitive, um, you're hypervigilant, right? You're always looking for, you know, Oh, you trying to play me? Oh, you trying to take, you know, you always think somebody trying to take advantage of you. You always think somebody's trying to play you out. You always think, you know, that's hypervigilance. PTSD. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not post-traumatic stress syndrome, post-traumatic slave syndrome, in the words of Dr. Joy DeGray. Shout out to Dr. Joy DeGray. Did you guys, did you guys, did you listen to those series of lectures? Joy D. Gray, write it down, stamp it on your forehead. Joy, Dr. Joy D. Gray, she has a series of lectures called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Listen to it. Nothing but the truth, man, I promise you. I literally started, it was, I, I don't see the 20, it was 21 videos. Like I, I listened to it some years ago. And literally when I started at one, I couldn't stop. Now she has some that's there where it's a little more condensed, a little more concise. You don't have to listen to all of them. She has one or two there that, you know, she kind of goes into, huh? D. Gray. D. E. Then it's, I think, G. R. E. Y. Or A. Y. Right. Yeah, man. Very serious. Hypervigilance. And she talks, she addresses all of these little nuances of our personalities as African-Americans um, that stems from the trauma that has been passed down generation after generation. Okay, so Qabil was the first person to commit murder and the practice of murder that continued on after. This was the first murder that ever took place on earth. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned an authentic hadith collected in Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, La tuqtal nafsun dhulman illa kana ala ibn Adam al-awwal uh, kaflun 
يعني جزء أو نصيب من دمها لأنه كان أول من سن القتل في الأرض The Prophet said that no soul is killed No soul is killed unjustly No soul is killed unjustly except that upon the son of Adam who murdered his brother he will have a share of every single person that is murdered unjustly on earth every single soul that is taken on earth unjustly the son of adam Qabil, will share in the sin of that because he was the one who started the sunnah of murder the prophet used the word sunnah he is the first one who started the sunnah of murder in the earth and you listen to music now these young boys and their music this trap music this uh what's, what's the other what's the word drill music right all they talk about is murder all they talk about is murder and what they don't realize with this music that every dollar that they collect from that music is blood money blood money because you're putting something out into earth into the world, into the atmosphere that is going to cause people to kill one another, shed blood amongst each other. And you think that you're going to ride off into the sunset, a millionaire with all these M's, with all this jewelry and diamonds, and you're going to live the best, you're going to live your best life. That's blood money, man. Which is why many of them get murdered themselves. Which is why they, in order for them to feel comfortable in the world, they have to walk around with 50 bodyguards. Just go to the store. You can't even go to the store and buy a, uh, some cereal milk for your children, except that you have to call your bodyguards and have to be on duty 24-7. That's the way you want to live your life? Is that living the high life and then they will display all of these images on social media like they are living the best life? When in fact, you spend out of your 24 hours, out of probably the 16 hours that you are awake, most of which you are guarded and protected by somebody that you have to pay to guard your life. There's nothing that is enjoyable about that. Nothing. You have to have somebody on a constant payroll to guard and protect your life because of what you put out into the atmosphere. That's, that's not a, right, they spend more hiding than they do enjoying their lives. SubhanAllah. And these young guys, you can't tell them that because all they see is the jewelry, all they see is the glamour, all they see is the cars, the foreigns, that's all they see. They don't see the other side of that because they can't show you the other side of that because if they showed you the other side of that, they would be out of business. This is how we keep the machine going. We got to sell you an illusion. And that's all it is. It's an illusion. Some of these rappers are educated. Some of them have gone to college. Some of them were very good at sports. Some of them, before all the tattoos and all of the, you know, the bling bling, before all of that, these were your average high school kids. The record industry pulls them in. They go and get the tattoos. They go and get the jewelry. They go, and this is the genre of music we want you to push. And if you push anything other than that, we'll cut you off and we'll bring somebody in to replace you. This is why rappers pop up every single day. They can replace you just like that. 
The moment you turn away from the agenda, we'll replace you with somebody who will. They're selling you an illusion. And our children, unfortunately, buy into the illusion and end up in prison while these guys who sell in the illusion live in penthouses, you know, still on Instagram flashing their money while your child is sitting in jail going to court with attempted murder or murder or multiple murders listening to that music. SubhanAllah. So the Prophet said that the first child of uh, the, the son of Adam who killed his brother, Qabil, he shares in every sin, every murder that takes place on this earth, he gets a portion of that because he was the one who started the sunnah of murder. So that lets us know that anyone who starts an evil sunnah, evil practice, and somebody follows that practice, you get the sin for starting it, and you get the sin for everybody who follows in that sin after you. You get the, right? Pay attention. Be mindful, man, subhanAllah. And this is connected to the Prophet Sallallahu statement um, the the envy, um, the envy of Bani Israel and the envy of uh, his brother Qabil against Habil. Uh, this is the connection here between the two stories. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, "Man Islam the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever starts an evil tradition, an evil practice, he will get the sin of starting that and the sin of everyone who follows that without their sin being diminished in the least. So Abu Hayyan, Abu Hayyan, uh, one of the scholars uh, of Seer, he explained the reason why they had to put forth a sacrifice. بسبب القربان أن الحواء تلد في كل بطن ذكر وأنثى وكان آدم يزوج ذكر هذا البطن أنثى ذلك البطن الآخر ولا يحل للذكر الناكح أو للذكر نكاح توأماته فولد فولد مع قابل فولد مع قابل أخت جميلة وولد مع هابل أخت دون ذلك فأبى قابل إلا أن يتزوج توأمته ولا توأمت هابل وأن يخالف سنة النكاح واتفق على أن يقدم قربانا فأيهما فأيتهما قبل قربانه تزوجها. So the reason for the reason for them having to put forth a sacrifice. Abu Hayyan he mentioned that Hawa she gave birth to twins. Every set of children she gave birth to were twins. So there were a boy and a girl, the boy and a girl. So it was from their tradition that the boy from this boy and girl had to marry the girl from this boy and girl. And that the boy from this, uh, the girl from this boy and girl married the boy from that boy and girl. So with Kabil was born a sister. He had a sister that was born with him. And Habil had a sister that was born with him. And so Habil was supposed to marry the sister of Kabil. And Kabil was supposed to marry the sister of Habil. However, Qabil did not want to marry the sister of uh, Habil. He wanted to marry his own sister because his sister was more beautiful. He wanted to marry his own sister 
rather than the sister of Habil because she was more beautiful. So what was proposed is that Adam said to them, you put forth a sacrifice. Put forth a sacrifice and whomever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts the sacrifice from, that's who marries the girl. Imam al-Tabari, he narrated on the authority of, of, of Ibn Amr that the two sons of Adam, one of them was a farmer and the other one was a shepherd. Guess who the farmer was? Guess who the shepherd was? Not that it has any significance, but it will get to that point. The farmer was Qabil, the murderer, and Habil was the shepherd. So the shepherd, Habil, he offered the best sheep that he had available. The best quality of sheep, the oldest, the strongest, the best quality of sheep he had, that's what he slaughtered. He took from the best of what he had and he put it forth for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. While the other one, Qabil, the farmer, he offered the poorest quality of fruits and vegetables that he had to offer. I ain't giving Allah, you know, my best stuff, right? It's like when we dig in our wallet, when we give a sadaqah, I ain't giving up that 50, but I'll scroll down to a couple of singles. I got a five, I got a single here, you know, I'll give that. While you might still be rewarded for that, you just forfeited an opportunity to get an even greater reward. You skip past the 50 and the 20 to go to the dollar bills and the five, and you give that as sadaqah, yeah, you might get the reward, but you gave up an opportunity. That 50 right there, bismillah, even though you needed it, even though you wanted it, that's what makes your reward even more virtuous. That's what makes the reward more meritorious. Because you give in when you don't really have and you give in when you really do need it. That's when it hurts. That's when you are rewarded the most. Not when you're like, all right, well, I got a couple singles here. Bismillah, I'll put that in the stomach of box. It's convenience. It didn't really hurt you. It didn't really bother you. And so while Allah give you a few hasanat for that, you missed out on the big reward. That is the mentality that we have to get away from. How many opportunities have we squandered because we sit back from a place of convenience? I'm only going to do what is convenient for me. But it's putting forth that sacrifice. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the proof of your love. Sacrifice is the ultimate proof of love. The Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned the hadith. He said, burhan. Charity is a proof. Proof of what? Proof of love. Proof that you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when you love someone, you, you dig deep for that. You don't sit from a place of convenience and just give. And that's how you know whether a person loves you or not. Do they dig deep or do they give when it's convenient? Maybe they don't understand what love is. Maybe they don't understand what sacrifice is. So it's maybe it's not that they don't love you. Maybe they don't know how to love. Maybe they haven't been taught love. Maybe love didn't exist in the environment that they grew up in. And these are things that we have to be mindful of when we go into relationships with people. What is your knowledge? We're so busy. Well, you know the rights of the wife. Do you know the rights of the husband? Do you know what love is? Where are you on the totem pole on the scale of love? One you don't know nothing about love. Ten, you're an expert at love. Cupid himself. 
Where do you fit in in that? What's your relationship with your mom? What's your relationship with your dad? Because these are the people that first introduce us to love. A woman's introduction to love is her father. So if a man is marrying a woman and she doesn't have a relationship with her father, doesn't have a good relationship with her father, you are in trouble. That doesn't mean that your marriage won't last, but you're going to have, there's some obstacles there. There's some hurdles you're going to have to jump over. Because the first person that introduces her to love from the opposite sex is her father. Vice versa with the man. What's your relationship with your mom? Relationship with your mom is toxic. There is no relationship with your mom. Sister, you're going to run into problems. Doesn't mean that your marriage won't work, but there will be many hurdles. Because the one that introduces him to love from the opposite sex is his mom. These are cohort facts, man. So he gathers fruits and vegetables for the poorest quality, and he puts them forth as a sacrifice. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what does he accept? In Allah that Allah is good, and Allah only accepts that which is good. It's not that the poorest quality, what made the poorest quality offering something that Allah wasn't going to accept? Was it the fact that it was the poorest quality? What? Boom. There you go. There you go. So it wasn't because if all he had was bad fruit and vegetables and he put forth that, that would have been sincere because that's all he had. But if you have an option, you got good, solid, good fruit, vegetables, and then you got poor and you choose the poor, then that means that it was disingenuous. It was a disingenuous choice. It was the intention that was behind it. It wasn't necessarily what you put forth. As Allah mentions in another ayat in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it is not when you make us when you slaughter your animal, uh, that it is not the meat that goes to Allah or the blood, but it is the taqwa, it is the intention of the heart. That goes to Allah. When you slaughter an animal, Bismillah, Allahu Akbar, you slaughter the animal. Allah doesn't eat the blood or eat the fruit, eat the eat the meat of the animal. Hasha wa kalla. The meat and the blood of the animal doesn't go to Allah. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us in that transaction, in that engagement? The, the intention of your heart in that moment. Why are you doing it? Allah says that the meat and the blood does not go to Allah, but the taqwa that is in your heart, the consciousness of Allah, the awareness of Allah, the sincerity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's not the deed itself, it's the condition of your heart, the state of your heart while you're doing it. So it's not the put forth, you know, bad fruit, and that's all he had. He put forth bad fruit. Because that was the option, that was the choice that he made. Right? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts from Habil, he accepted the offer of the former and not the latter. And the sign that was given to them that their sacrifice was accepted and the other one was rejected is that a fire would descend from the heavens 
and consume the offering that was accepted while leaving the other offering untouched. So while they left the offering there, a fire came from the heavens and burnt up the sacrifice or the offering that was accepted and left the other one. And that's how they knew whose was accepted and whose wasn't. قال العلماء فتقبل الله قربان أحدهما وهو هابل لصدقه وإخلاصه Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted the sacrifice of Habil not because he slaughtered the sheep or the best of his sheep but because of his sincerity. He gave from the best of what he had because he wanted to prove to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he was sincere, not about the girl. Oh, this is an opportunity for me to prove to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by giving a sacrifice. I'm going to go get the best of what I had and I'm going to give it to God. You understand? It wasn't about the girl. The girl was just by default part of the scenario. But this was about their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Habil proved that I love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so I'm going to give him the best of what I have. Right? I'm going to give him the best of what I have. Absolutely. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tasked Ibrahim with slaughtering his son. Allah wanted to see, do you love your son more than you love me? Allah will accept no partners, man. No partners. So it's the condition of the heart. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as he said to his brother, that Allah only accepts from those who are righteous. And Abdullah ibn Mubarak, one of the great scholars, uh, the great scholars of Islam, he said, he said, perhaps a major deed will be rendered insignificant because of the intention behind it. And perhaps a small deed, a minor deed will be rendered humongous or magnificent because of the intention behind it. It's the intention. In addition, our offerings or our sacrifices should be from the best of what we have, whether that is money, clothes, time, food, right? If you go back to the story of Prophet Yusuf, when Prophet Yaqub said that he would forgive his sons, and he said he was going to make dua for them, he was going to ask for forgiveness for them. He didn't ask forgiveness for them in that moment. When did he ask forgiveness for them? He waited until night time. He said, I'm going to ask Allah for forgiveness for you. But he didn't ask right then and there. He waited until the night time. Why? Because he wanted to choose the time in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most likely accepts dua. And when is that? The last third of the night when Allah descends to the lowest heaven and asks, Is anybody asking me for anything so I can give him what he's asking for? You want to make dua for somebody? Sacrifice. Get up in the third of the night, take the covers off of you, go make wudu, get up out of your sleep and make dua for them. Don't say, I'm going to make dua for you and then forget about me when you walk away. Don't say, I'm going to make dua for you and go sit in your car and make dua. You want to make dua for me? Sacrifice. Get up at the third of the night when you really want to remain asleep, when you know you got to go to work in the morning, when you know you just laid down an hour or two ago and sacrifice your time and make dua for the person because that shows you really love. Yaqub didn't make dua for them right then and there. He said, I'm a, I'll seek for, uh, I will ask forgiveness for you. 
but he waited into the nighttime because that was the best best time to make dua is the last third of the night. So when we make offerings, we make sacrifices, we should choose from the best of what we have, whether that is money, whether that is clothes, whether that's food, whether that's time. If you are serving the poor, you're giving them food, right? For our brothers and sisters who are out here feeding the homeless, feeding the needy, and you're doing all of this great charitable work, which is awesome. However, don't feed them something that you yourself wouldn't eat. You feed the homeless, you feed those who are misfortunate, uh, unfortunate, you feed those who are less fortunate, those who are needy, you feed them from the same stuff that you would eat. But to go and buy them some corner store stuff, some garbage, some trash that you wouldn't even eat, and then you go and you give it to them, well, you might, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may not even accept that from them. How could you serve somebody something that you yourself wouldn't even eat? Listen to this ayah from Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah number two, ayah 266. For those of you who are doing charitable work, charitable organizations, I want you to listen to this ayah very closely. Surah number two, ayah 226. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, anfiqu min tayyibati ma kasabitum. Oh, you who believe, spin from the best spend from the best of what you have earned when you earn money you got money coming in from multiple places you look at the multiple streams of income that you have when you give sadaqah you give sadaqah from the best of your streams of income the most halal of your streams of income because not all of our streams of income are halal you might be getting money from this place might be getting money from this place or this place and that place but this place might be questionable this place, you might have a business. You have some Muslim business owners. They sell, they got bodegas, they got corner stores. You selling cigarettes, you selling lottery tickets, you selling alcohol, you selling pork. You might be selling candy too and bread and all of that other stuff. You better be separating your money. Because the money that you earn from selling cigarettes, from selling lottery tickets, from selling blunts, go figure. Muslim own a bodega selling blunt paper. Right. You would never do that in your own neighborhood, but you'll come down into poor inner city environments and you'll sell these youth pork. And if you ask them, what is their logic behind that? Well, you know, they're kufar. You know, we're African-American. I don't have the luxury to say they're kufar. They are non-Muslims, but they I share my environment with them. I don't I can't just write them off like that. I can't just write these are still our family members, our cousins, our distant cousins. I can't just write them off like that and say they're kufar, they're disbelievers, and sell them pork. I, I can't do that. I don't have the luxury to do that. So when you say, oh, they're disbelievers anyway, I'm sorry, that doesn't resonate with me. That doesn't resonate with me. As the Prophet would have never sent a convoy, send uh, an entourage of Muslims to Mecca to go set up shop in Mecca and sell the disbelievers of Mecca pork. The Prophet would have never sanctioned that. Because although they were disbelievers, they were still his family members, still his tribesmen, still people from the environment where he came from. But we can do that because we don't really have any biological connection. They're kufar, they're disbelievers, sell them pork, sell them blunt papers, sell them alcohol, animals anyway. Right? MashaAllah.
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O oh, you who believe, spin from the best of what you have earned. And what we have produced for you from the earth. So beautiful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and do not spin from the worst of what you have and give from the worst of what you have when you yourself wouldn't even take it except if you were driven by necessity. You yourself wouldn't even eat it. So why would you give it to somebody else? And then Allah says, and know that Allah is ghaniyun hamid. Allah is rich. Allah is not in need of you. If that's the way you want to give your charity, then keep your charity. Allah doesn't need it. It's no coincidence that at the end of this ayah, Allah mentions his name, al-ghani. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is self-sufficient, rich. Allah does not need our charitable organizations. Allah does not need our charity. If you are going to spend from the worst of what you have, something that you yourself wouldn't even be accepting of, except if you are in dire straits. How could you give somebody something that you wouldn't even eat? If you are going to give somebody some food, then you should be able to open up one of the plates, the platters, and eat it right along with them. But if someone offered you the food and you say, no, nah, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't eat that. But you serve it to other people? You okay with that? So Habil's offering was from a place of transparency and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following the protocols of nikah, following the protocols of marriage during their time. While Qabil's offering was from a place of arrogance and disregard for the protocols of marriage in their tradition. Because even if, even if they, uh, Qabil had given from the best of what he had, what he was given for, what he was given the offering a sacrifice for was for something that was haram. And if he was righteous, as his brother told him, Allah only accepts from those who are righteous. If he was righteous, he would have backed away from the situation to begin with. He wouldn't even challenge. His father challenged his brother, he wouldn't have even challenged his own family. He would have backed away from the situation and said, this goes against the protocols of marriage that was revealed to my father. Let me obey. Let me obey. So he was arrogant and he had a disregard for the protocols of marriage in their tradition. Keep in mind that the root of envy was over a, a woman. Pay attention, right? The root of their of his envy was a woman. How many? You can't even count. How many brothers don't give salams to other brothers or may have tried to inflict bodily harm on other brothers or may have done something to other brothers over a woman? How many brothers have been jealous and envious over for other brothers because this particular sister is filling him and not him? How many imams call themselves being a wali to help a sister get married, but the sister not filling you as the imam, but filling brother so-and-so, and you tell the sister, oh, no, nah, he's not a good brother. MashaAllah, he's not a good brother. Everybody else seems to think so. Well, no, he got issues. 
that's now become like the tagline for, you know, I don't I, I don't really want to say that I don't like the brother personally or I'm jealous of the brother. So I just say, oh, he got issues. What does that even mean? What issues? Identify them for me. Itemize them for me. Give me a list. What issues? Oh, you know, his last marriage. Well, then that means you got issues, too, because you married him to his last wife. So if he got issues, you got issues. You married him to her. When did you find out he had issues? After the situation was over or beforehand? Because you, if my memory serves me correctly, you married him to the sister, didn't you? Now all of a sudden he got issues, so you didn't know he had those issues beforehand? MashaAllah. How convenient. Envy over a woman. The Prophet said, Ma taraktu ba'di fitnatan hiya adarru ala rijal minan nisa. The Prophet said that I have not left behind, I have not left behind a fitna, a trial, a tribulation that is more damaging to men than women. Adarru ala rijal minan nisa. I have not left behind a fitna. That is more challenging for the men of my ummah than women. And here we are, still stuck with these issues. Over a woman. He was envious of his, over his brother, envious of his brother over a woman. A woman that was not even halal for him. Go figure. A woman that he wasn't even supposed to be with. Go figure. Yeah. Guessing you guys didn't come here today prepare for this one. As I say all the time, when I'm dead and gone, you can you can work out all the details. Right now, I got to give it to you raw and uncut. Afterwards, you can figure out. Oh, he shouldn't have said it like that. Well, he only, I think what he meant was you can figure all that out later. I ain't got time to sort all, all through all of that stuff. I got to give it to you coming straight from my heart. And if, if you value information then you can separate the personality of me from the information that i'm giving you one has absolutely nothing to do with the other my personality you don't have to like me you don't have to love me is fine it's cool i'm not in the business of making friends but i am in the business of making sure that i leave this place having done my job and that i answer to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having done what was upon me to do. And that was to convey to you the truth as I see it. Not as this person sees it, not as this sheikh sees it, not as that sheikh overseas sees it, the truth as I see it. That doesn't mean I'm always correct, doesn't mean I'm always right, but what it does mean is that it doesn't get any, what you see is what you get. You ain't gonna get no more than that. That's a fact. What you see is what you get. I've been in this business almost 20 years. And if you've been listening for 20 years, you can tell that my message has not shifted, has not curved, has not deviated one iota. The same message, you can go back 2004, 2003 and pull up one of my lectures and you can hear me with the same energy, the same subject matter, the same material. Just probably now just a little bit more mature. Qabil, after seeing the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his brother, he resorted to threatening him with murder. I'm going to kill you. 
And when jealousy turns into rage, watch the progression. Jealousy turns into rage, which turns into oppression, which eventually turns into murder. That's the progression. When you are jealous and you are envious of someone, that envy eventually turns into rage. Why? Because the more and more Allah keeps blessing this person, the angrier and angrier you become. The envy turns into rage. Every time the person's name is mentioned, you got something negative to say about the person. Every time you're around the person, you eyeballing the person with hatred, you're put, inflicting the person with the evil eye. This is envy that turns into rage. And that rage turns into oppression. You start lying on the person, start backbiting the person, talking about the person, slandering the person, saying stuff about the person that's not true. This is oppression. And then that oppression may, be, uh, may escalate to murder. And there is no stopping the individual. That's the, the sad part about it. The Prophet Sallallahu said, he said, uh, either to, either, he said, either to has said, either has said, either has said, to has said, he said that if you become envious of someone, you stop doing everything. You stop focusing on what's important in your life. You start your total concentration becomes on that individual. Everything about you becomes centered on that individual. You can't even do anything else for yourself. Everything, every conversation becomes about that individual. Everything you do becomes trying to thwart and stop whatever blessings is coming to that individual. Your whole entire life becomes centered on that person. That if you become jealous and envious of someone, you stop all deeds, all actions that are beneficial to you. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam paid attention to this hadith. He said the first sins that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala was disobeyed with, the first sins that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was disobeyed with was a thamar and that is desire and that was Adam alayhi salam when he desired to eat from the tree al-kibr arrogance and that was the arrogance of shaitan when he refused to prostrate and hasad and envy and that is when Qabil killed his brother because of his envy these are the first three sins that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ever been disobeyed with pay attention to those three and find out where those three, what role those three play in your life. Absolutely. Very dangerous. He said, The first three sins that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was ever disobeyed with were three. That was a tamak, and that is desire, lowly desires, meaning animal impulses that we don't have any control over, a lack, lack of self-discipline. Number two, and that was, that was the sin of Adam, desiring the tree, not disciplining himself to refrain from the tree, giving in to his impulses. Number two was uh, uh, kibber, arrogance, 
And that was the sin of shaitan, refusing to prostrate when Allah commanded him to. And number three was what? Envy. And that was the sin of Qabil when he killed his brother. The scholars, they say, The first sin that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was disobeyed with, whether in the heavens and on earth, was envy. The first sin that Allah was disobeyed with in the heavens and on earth was envy. Shaitan, envious of Adam. Qabil, envious of Habil. Yeah, you understand how dangerous that is. It's, it's enough to give anybody pause. This is the first sin that Allah was disobeyed with in the heavens and in the earth. And the cure for hasid. Let me give you the cure. The cure for hasid is to recognize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allocated for everyone his blessings based upon his wisdom. And that may include giving some more than others. That's the cure here. It's to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala distributes his blessings to his servants however he wills, subhanahu wa ta'ala, based upon his wisdom. Allah says in the Quran, in Surah number 43, ayah 32. Turn to Surah 43, ayah 32. We're getting ready to stop here. Surah number 43, ayah 32. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says what? نَحْنُ قَسَمْنَا مَعِيشَتُهُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَرَفَعْنَا بَعْضُهُمْ فَوْقَ بَعْضٍ And we have distributed their livelihood in this world, in this life of this world, and we have raised some of them above others in degrees, in station. That's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We did this. Any blessing that you have been given or anybody else has been given came from Allah, not from you. You may have done the footwork, but the success of your footwork was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ultimately Allah. So why be envious and jealous of this person for something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already decreed the person was going to have? We distribute their livelihood to them in the life of this world. And we raise some of them above others in degrees. In another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even discusses that he raised some of the prophets over others. All prophets are not on the same level. Can you imagine the greatest of men walking the earth and they are in hierarchy? There's a hierarchy even amongst the prophets and messengers. The greatest of them is none other than Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah said everything's best for last. <laughs> is it time? That's it. Last ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Surah number 17, ayah 55. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And we have raised or we have given precedence to some prophets over others. This is even amongst the prophets. So we'll stop here, inshallah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taslima kathira wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. It is now time to break fast. Um, uh, dates, water, I'm guessing. Oh, we have five minutes? Five minutes? Are you sure? Okay. We have five minutes. Uh, please, yes, uh, if you guys would like to donate, uh, Rolla Islamic Center, 
of Delaware. We are still doing our fundraising all throughout the month of Ramadan, inshallah ta'ala. Our goal is to collect $100,000 within the month of Ramadan. We are almost at the $10,000 mark from the beginning, starting last week with Ilah al-Ham. So uh, if you would like to donate, you can donate to our Cash App, the Cash App sign, Rolda Islamic Center. Cash App, Rolda, R-A-W-D-A-H, Rolda Islamic Center. Or you can donate using PayPal or Zelle using Rolda Islamic Center of Delaware at gmail.com. Rolda Islamic Center at gmail.com. R-A-W-D-A-H, Rolda Islamic Center at gmail.com. All of your donations are greatly appreciated. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala place it in your scales of good on the day when you will need it the most. Please donate, please give as much as you can. The Prophet was very generous. He was a very generous person, but the peak or the height of his generosity was in the month of Ramadan. The peak of his generosity was in the month of Ramadan. So uh, we are not finished. There's, there's a little bit more to this story. We haven't even gotten to the tearjerker part yet. I promise you tomorrow, you're probably going to cry. Yeah, this is, it, it, this gets deep. But um, just the mere fact that, you know, what we covered was just the beginning part of it. And that was the, the indie, the, the intention, the, 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 you know, the story, the backstory behind the murder. We didn't even get to the murder yet. We just got past the envy, the elements that kind of drove him to that point, where his flaw was, where his mistake was, and uh, moving forward, inshallah ta'ala, we'll be able to pick up some other things. So we'll continue tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala, at 6 p.m., inshallah ta'ala. Nasima Abdurra'uf, jazakumallahu khayran, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you generously as you have been generous to us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you jazakumallahu khayran. Uh, this is the time the Prophet ﷺ said that there is no fasting person who supplicates at the time that they are breaking their fast except that Allah will respond to their dua. You want your dua responded to? Now is the time to make dua. Take the last moments, last few minutes before it's time to break fast and make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma taqabbil minna innaka anta samiul alim wa tuba alina innaka anta tawab rahim May Allah accept from us Indeed, Allah is uh, May Allah accept from us. Indeed, he is the all-hearer, the all-knower. And may he turn to us and accept our repentance. For indeed, he is a tawab al-rahim. Allahumma rahmataka narju. Fala takilna ila anfusina tarafata'ayn. Oh Allah, your mercy is what we hope for. So do not leave us to ourselves, even for the time that it takes for us to blink our eyes. Wa aslih lana shaknana kullaha la ilaha illallah. That and rectify all of our affairs. There is none deserving of worship except you. Allahumma taqabbal minna siyamana. May Allah accept from us our fasting. Wa qiyamana and our standing. Wa sujoodana and our sujood. Wa ruku'ana and our ruku'. Wa dua'ana and our dua. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon our elders. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon those from amongst the Muslims who are sick. Allahumma shfi mardana wa marda al-Muslimin. May Allah give cure. May Allah restore health to the sick Muslims all around the world. May Allah subhanahu wa taala forgive us and forgive those of our parents who died on the state of the state of state of Islam, died on La ilaha illallah. May Allah subhanahu wa taala forgive them for their sins. May Allah subhanahu wa taala make their graves spacious 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raise them in degrees in the highest place of Jannah. Ameen. Ameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.